Charles Feeney died last Monday at the age of 92. Charles Feeney had founded duty-free shoppers, those stores that you see in so many airports selling liquor and perfume and jewelry. He earned billions of dollars, but he never idolized money. Instead, he started giving it away secretly at first. In 1996, he gave away $1.6 billion to a charitable organization. He later gave a billion dollars to his alma mater, Cornell University. Meanwhile, he lived frugally. In 2012, Cornell University named Feeney an icon of industry, and as a joke, they presented him with a $13 Casio watch. Feeney, alluding to his reputation for being a penny pincher, said he was very grateful for the gift um, because, he said, you can always sell these things on eBay. <laughs> he ultimately gave away $8 billion. That's billion with a B. He wanted to give away as much as he could, but he knew he, knew he needed to live off something in retirement, so he kept just $2 million for himself and his wife. Now, I know that $2 million is still a lot of money, but it's a drop in the bucket compared to $8 billion. The Bible talks about a tithe, giving 10% of your income, and that's a good standard for all of us. In contrast, Feeney gave away literally more than 99.9% .9 of his wealth. Now, that's a good message for stewardship season, and I think I'm just going to end the sermon right there. Go in peace to love and serve the Lord. Amen. But seriously, we live in a world with so much greed and so much gluttony and so much selfishness and so much pride, and it's so refreshing when we see someone like Charles Feeney who overcomes these temptations. Therefore, I want us to spend a few minutes thinking about what prevents us from living like Charles Feeney, aside from the $8 billion that most of us don't have. I want us to think about the idols of this world, the idols that draw us away from God, idols like greed and selfishness and pride. The passage we heard from Exodus this morning is all about that, an idol, a golden calf. To set the stage for the reading, you may remember Moses had gone up Mount Sinai where he and God, mostly God, were hashing out the Ten Commandments. Meanwhile, back in town, the Hebrew people got restless. We read, when the people saw that Moses delayed to come down the mountain, the people gathered around Aaron. So who's Aaron? Moses is the leader of the Hebrew people, but Aaron helps out. He keeps things running when Moses is away. You could say that Aaron was sort of the sub-dean of the Hebrew people. <laughs> so while Moses is away, the people come to Aaron and they say, Come, make gods for us who shall go before us. As for this Moses, the man who brought us up out from the land of Egypt, we do not know what has become of, of him. 
Now keep in mind everything that Moses had done for the Hebrew people. He had confronted the Pharaoh, freeing them from from slavery. He performed a miracle to provide water when they were about to die of thirst. He, He had led them through the wilderness and they were traveling together towards the promised land. But notice what the people say. As for this Moses, we don't know what has become of him. They're obviously not very concerned about Moses. They don't gather a search party or hang missing persons posters or call a press conference. Instead, the people get impatient. They forget all that Moses has done for them and they decide they're just gonna move on. But don't we in our own ways do the same thing? We get impatient with God and we say things like, God, I don't know where you are. God, you're obviously away on a mountaintop somewhere and I'll just have to take care of things on my own down here. I'll find my own peace. I will find a way to assure myself of my own security. Just as the Hebrew people forgot all that Moses had done for them, you and I can forget what God has done in our lives. The Hebrew people called for this God, and we read that Aaron said to them, take off the gold rings that are on the ears of your wives, your sons, and your daughters, and bring them to me. Now I have a question. Where did the Hebrew people get the gold rings? After all, they had been slaves in Egypt. In Exodus 12, we find the answer. As they were preparing to leave Egypt, God inspired the Egyptians to give gold to the Hebrew people. In other words, what happened here is the Hebrew people took this gold jewelry, this beautiful gift from God, and they transformed it into an idol. Again, be honest, don't we do the same thing? We take the good gifts that God has given us and we warp them and we distort them. We're given the gifts of of taste buds and, and a world filled with rich food, but we take this gift and we deform it and we become gluttons. Or we're given the gift of intimacy with a beloved partner, but we take this gift and we deform it and we turn it into lust. Or we're given the gift of our minds and bodies and the opportunity to work and provide for those we love, but we take this gift and we deform it and we become workaholics. One of my favorite books, I've mentioned it before, by C.S. Lewis is called The Great Divorce. It's about the great divorce, the great chasm between heaven and hell. In this book, hell is called Greytown, and in Greytown, there's a kind and loving woman who is completely obsessed with her son, with his happiness, his success, his accomplishments, and her pride in him. This woman's whole identity is wrapped up in her son. In short, her son has become her idol. We can take something that is good, even very good, like loving a child, and we can distort that even and turn it into an idol. But for Moses and Aaron, the story goes on. We read, Aaron took the gold from them, formed it in a mold, 
and then cast an image of a calf. My question is why on earth did he make an image of a calf? It sounds like they needed a marketing strategist. If I was going to make an idol, I would make an eagle with wings outspread, soaring, or, or a dragon breathing fire, or a bear up on his hind legs. Those are powerful images. Why a calf? Why a baby cow? I think the answer is because if we are going to make an idol, if we're going to cast an image of God the way we want God to look, we'll make God cute and cuddly, and most of all, we'll make God controllable. We read that when Moses came down the mountain, he asked Aaron, and this is a paraphrase, what's going on here? Where did this golden calf come from? And in verse 24, a little bit after our reading today, we hear Aaron's explanation. Aaron says, I said to the people, whoever has gold, take it off. So they gave it to me, and I threw it into the fire, and out came this calf. That's his excuse. Aaron is saying, I have no idea how this happened. I threw a bunch of gold in the fire, and boom, here it was. I didn't have anything to do with it. Not my fault. One of the clues we've created an idol in our lives is when we start making excuses like this. I didn't mean for this to happen. It's not my fault. And we see this all the time. We first make a few compromises, and then we bend one rule, and then break one rule, and then another, and then another, until we find that we are in a place and we don't know how we got here, and we never intended to be here. Think, for example, about Elizabeth Holmes. She set out with a noble goal to improve blood testing, to make it more affordable and easier. But when her company, Theranos, began to face challenges, she started looking for shortcuts and started misleading employees, and then started defrauding her investors. It's one of the ways that any of us can slip into sin. We bend the rules, and then we, come, and then we become lackadaisical about our ethics. And then when we've clearly crossed a line we didn't intend to cross, we say, I don't know how I got here. It's not my fault. It just happened. Or as Aaron said, I threw this gold into the fire, and out came this calf. So my question for you this morning is, do you have any idols? Do you have anything that you put in the place of God? To think about this question, you can ask yourself a few things. First of all, what is your greatest dream? Is there a goal that you would give up anything to achieve? Second, how do you spend your time? What's on your Outlook calendar? Third, what are your financial priorities? How do you spend your money? You see, if there's a single thing, a job or your pride or your looks, that consistently stands at the center of your life, that may be an idol for you. 
The truth is that so many of us are broken in different ways. And even more broadly, if we look at the world around us, we see how badly broken it is. The world's filled with so much division and discord and hatred. The most obvious example of this right now may be the horrific violence that we're seeing in the Middle East. Thousands of people have died. The UN estimates that over a million people might be displaced. And babies younger than my toddler have been killed. When I think about this, not only as a Christian, but as a parent, I'm horrified at the chasm that exists between how God intends for us to live and how we actually do live, how we actually treat one another. And very frankly, in these moments, there are times when I feel almost helpless, almost hopeless. But as I've said before, when it looks like evil is winning, that means there is still more of the story to be told. At the end of the passage we heard this morning, we read that Moses implored the Lord his God. In other words, Moses prayed to God. Despite the failings of the people, despite the idol they had built, Moses prayed on their behalf. And for you and me, when we're surrounded by pain and brokenness, and when we feel hopeless and helpless, and when we don't know what to do, we also can turn to God in prayer. We can remember that God is not cute and cuddly and controllable, but God is mighty, and God has the power to work through us and to work in the world to confront evil and violence. You see, ultimately, an idol is anything that draws us away from God. The lust for power that leads to violence and war, that is an idol. The sloth that leads us to accept the status quo, unwilling to do the work that needs to be done to, to improve the world, that is an idol. The greed that leaves us unwilling to share what we have with those in need, that is an idol. You see, what we can do, like what Moses did in our lives, is identify the idols we have and cast them aside, and then pray to God when we see brokenness in our lives or in the world. Charles Feeney, who founded Duty Free Shoppers, could have so easily been tempted by idols, especially the idol of greed with how much money he had. Instead, a few years before he died, Feeney said, I want the last check I write to bounce. Isn't that an image of what we can all aspire to? To give away so much in this life. To give away so much of our time to those in need. To give away so much of our love to our family and our friends. To give away so much of our money to good causes that when we write the last check of our lives, it's revealed that we have given all that we ever could. That's what it would look like to live a life without any idols, a life fully dedicated to and driven by God's grace and God's love.
that's what we can aspire to. Amen.